You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. I want to take you to the Word of the Lord, and we're going to go back to the book of Exodus, chapter number 20, and we are continuing with our series, Because I Am, a look at a look at the Ten Commandments. And so if you were not here last week, I would encourage you to go back and you can catch the first part or the introduction online, either on Facebook or you can go to our YouTube channel. It's most accessible there. And uh, you can go back to our videos and you can find part one of this, which was primarily an introduction. I'm going to continue with just a few more things and then we're going to get into tonight, actually going through, walking through the Ten Commandments, and Lord willing, we'll wrap this up next week. So this will be just a three-week series, uh, by the help of the Lord, on the Ten Commandments. And this is a monumental task, to be able to cover the, three, the, the, the Ten Commandments in three weeks. Um, so obviously, I am not exhausting every uh, facet, if you will, uh, we're, we're trying to acknowledge some of the big ideas and then really look at how the Ten Commandments applies to us. So my attempt or my goal in this series for you is to be able to equip you to go back to refer back to the Ten Commandments and to be able to continually unfold it and unpack them in your own life. Uh, because uh, it, it takes a lifetime to really learn all that God has for us as you go through different phases, different seasons, different things, different commandments, are going to be uh, guidelines, uh, guardrails, if you will, for your life at different times. So my intent is to be able to give you the tools by which you can go back and allow these Ten Commandments to really direct your life, order your steps, uh, uh, dictate uh, your decisions, not dictate, but to determine, help determine. How many, how many want the Lord, the Lord's ways to be uh, the prevailing ways in your life? I want my steps. The Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. So I want my, I want my steps, my decisions, my goings to be ordered of God and his ways. And one way that we can be confident of that is when we live our life according to the word of God. And I made the argument or the case a little bit or, or the statement that the Ten Commandments uh, is a summary or a capsule passage of Scripture by which every part of your life, I believe, uh, uh, in my experience, every part of my life can be touched or directed by one part of the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments doesn't deal with all of the issues 
of the hurts and pains in detail in life, but it gives us the principles. So this is what we're going to look at tonight, but we need the help of the Holy Ghost tonight because God's Word, although it's literal, it is also life. It's spiritual, and we want to receive that tonight. So right where you're sitting, would you pray tonight with me? And let's ask God's Word just to have His way in our heart. Lord, I thank you tonight for another chance to come together and open your Word. I thank you for bringing all of us here together. We come from different walks and different experiences, Lord. We come with different needs and different situations, but your word is perfect. And I pray tonight by the help of the Holy Ghost, God, that you could send encouragement and edification, admonishment to each and every single one of us tonight. God, it is our will that you would be Lord in our life. God, we pray this tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's go if we can, to Exodus chapter number 20, and we go to verse number 2. And here Moses begins speaking as the mouthpiece of God, and he starts out the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord thy God. That statement right there, that that phrase right there is the foundation, it is the keystone, it is the pivot on everything that we are looking at, the revelation of God. I am the Lord thy God. Not only is the revelation of God there, but our relationship to that God. I am the Lord thy God. God. We cannot expect to get to the spirit of commandment 10 unless we have the revelation of the very beginning right here. The first command, the first nine commandments are addressing specific behaviors, things that we can do in our flesh. But the 10th commandment is, it, it opens up a window. We're going to talk about this tonight. It opens up a window because the 10th commandment is not a behavior that is acted out as much as an attitude or a posturing, a positioning of our heart. Because when we get to the 10th commandment, after he's talked about the first nine behavioral things. He says, thou shalt not covet. And it illustrates that all of these are a heart issue. Can I tell you, your heart cannot be right unless first you have an understanding that there is a God. I am the Lord. I am. And that God doesn't just exist, but that God has revealed himself to us. And the reason why he's revealed himself to us is not that we could just be his minions, but that somehow we could have a relationship with us and he could manifest himself to us. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Right there, we understand he's a good God. He's a good God. I didn't deserve it, but he blessed me. I didn't deserve it, but he healed me. I didn't deserve it, but he set me free. He delivered me. This was the foundation. This was the understanding. 
Israel was not some high and mighty great people in the world. And God looked down and said, I'm going to come down because they're so great. They just impressed me. No, they were slaves in Egypt. Nothing impressive about that. But because of a commitment, because of a covenant that God had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God spoke to them. And he says, I am the Lord thy God. There's a revelation there. Now, we finished last week with the three principles of understanding uh, uh, the Ten Commandments. So the three principles for understanding the Ten Commandments, real quick, if we can go over those, we'll review those again. Number one, each commandment testifies to the real temptation or propensity we have to break it. So the reason why these Ten Commandments are given is because we have a natural proclivity for us to disregard this ten, these commandments or to do the opposite of the commandment. So this is important. The second principle, is that each commandment, while it's given in simplicity, it speaks to the complexity of working out this obedience. So it's a simple thing, but there is... There's a deeper layer that's going on here. Uh, 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 so this is not just a law that is given so that we can obey the letter of the law, but there is, there is a principle and a whole school of thought that, that goes along with each commandment. So it's a simple commandment, yes, but there is a complex system here that is understood. This is what God intended when he gave it to them. Now we'll see by the time of Christ, they reduced the commandment down to just the letter of the law, and they found ways around it. We here in the West, in America... Are, are masters at finding ways to get off the hook legally. And so we, we, we miss the spirit of the law. So we're going to look at that. And then the third thing, the third principle is that each commandment is successive or foundational to the next commandment, meaning you will not do well in keeping the last if you neglect the keeping of the prior. So these are fundamental principles that we need to look at to understand the principles of the Ten Commandments. Okay, now I want to, I, I don't have slides for all of this tonight, so you're just going to sort of have to follow me. If I put too much here, you can go back and uh, catch this on the podcast or the YouTube uh, channel later on. But real quick, I want to give you um, the Ten Commandments. Sometimes you'll see the Ten Commandments in different orders according to denominations. Now, everybody usually agrees that there's Ten Commandments, but whether you're looking through the lens of Judaism, the, uh, uh, the, the Hebrews historically, how they numbered the Ten Commandments is different than the common numbering or ordering of the Ten Commandments that you, most of us in this room, would be familiar with. So the, the, the Jews would look at the Ten Commandments and verse number two, which we just read, I am the Lord thy God, Verse number two is actually the first commandment. Uh, uh, and then verses three through six. So in our traditional understanding, first commandment and second commandment, the Jews would look at and they would make them the second commandment. The Orthodox or the Reformed churches, which is most Protestant churches come out of the Reformed churches, the Orthodox churches, uh, they would look at the Ten Commandments and verse 3, the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
And then that's how those commandments would be ordered. In the Catholic and the Lutheran uh, 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 practices, understanding, they would, they would begin uh, uh, with verses 3 through 6, all being the first commandment. So that would be, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and you shouldn't make any graven images. They would look at those as one commandment, and then they would get down to the 10th commandment, where it says, thou shalt not covet uh, thy house, uh, thy neighbor's house, uh, wife, manservant, ox, all the other things that they own, everything it goes through, uh, they split that commandment into two. So there's differences of ordering the Ten Commandments. So our primary tradition probably uh, uh, in, in, in the Western Anglo-Saxon churches, Baptist churches, uh, uh, evangelical churches, um, most Protestant churches, is we have looked at the Ten Commandments or have learned the Ten Commandments. How many remember learning the Ten Commandments by a song? Did anybody in here ever learn the Ten Commandments by a song? Am I the only one? I'm the only one in this room? I can't believe this. I can still sing the song. It was in Sunday school, and it was in a play we did and we sang the Ten Commandments. Nobody's heard the Ten Commandments song. Well, my goodness. So you probably don't even remember the Ten Commandments then because if you can't sing it, it's really, really hard to do this. I will not try to sing it for you, but you could probably go on the internet and you could look it up. Brother Leonard really wants me to here. Uh, I think it starts out, number one, we've just begun. God should be first in your life. Number two, I can't remember the rest, so <laughs> see how... I just did not illustrate the point that I was trying to make. But I remember the first commandment, so that's, that's it. That's all. I, I got that one. But I remember learning that song and used to be able to sing through, and, and, and we had all that in, in Sunday school. It was a great way. So the way I learned them was actually verse number three, thou shalt have no other gods before me, was commandment number one. And verse number, or, or commandment ten was thou shalt not covet period, and it just covered all things. That's traditionally, that's probably the most popular thing. So if you went on Pinterest or you went on Google or whatever else and said, give me a list of the Ten Commandments, it's probably the most common. But I do think that it is very important. Now, I laid the foundation last week when I said, because I am a look at the Ten Commandments. That may have seemed like an odd title. What does that title have to do with the Ten Commandments? But it has everything to do with the Ten Commandments because no matter the tradition of how you number the Ten Commandments or you look at it, the foundational principle of any any guideline, any rule, any commandment that God gave to us was built upon the foundation of the revelation of who God was, because I am. So Judaism is going to look at verse 2, I am the Lord thy God, as the very first commandment. Now, before we jump into the first commandment, before we go through three, three of these, I, I don't want us to read through the Ten Commandments and just follow the letter of the law. Because if it, it, we as human being, beings have a, a tendency, and it's even more than a tendency, it's almost an absolute certainty that we will find a way around the letter of a law if we can. 
Come on, somebody say amen. 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 So if we can observe the law to the letter technically, but we can break the spirit of the law, amen. we can say, well, I didn't break the letter of the law, so look at me. And we feel good about ourselves. This is not something that's new. Now, we do this in America all the time, and, and a lot of money is made in, 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 in lawyers and the practice of law, because the practice of law today has practically just been reduced to, if you can find a loophole and you can find a way out, it has nothing to do with the spirit of the law. We, we are living in that day and age today, but don't be disheartened. There's, this is not a new phenomenon with America or the West. It has existed since since man has existed. Uh, even Cain would respond to God and say, well, I'm not my brother's keeper. <laughs> and he would offend the spirit of the law that God had given him just in mere creation. And so all through down antiquity, we're going to see this offense. And this was the thing that God was trying to change. When he gives the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel, he was not just giving them specific, uh, let's say, absolutes, and if it wasn't in the law, it didn't speak to it. No, he was covering everything through the principle of the law. And that's one thing that's beautiful about the Old Testament law. I think it's six, 613 commandments that Moses would give totally, but... Ten Commandments, everything could be summed up in the Ten Commandments right there. So in the Old Testament law, when they would interpret the law, there's, there's sometimes there's some odd laws on the books in the Old Testament, and we read it with mid, uh, we read it through Western eyes, or we read it through our American eyes, and we don't understand the context and the culture by which God was uh, uh, giving it. And so if we're not careful, we can make the mistake of interpreting things about God that are not true. One for one prime example in the old Testament, uh, there was a law about if you had an ox, uh, uh, an ox, a, 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 a cattle, uh, with horns and that ox, uh, gored somebody or killed somebody, there were certain parameters by which you would be held accountable. If you knew that animal was a dangerous animal and you did not protect it, whether you bound up its horns, cut its horns off, kept it tied up, if you knew that that animal was a danger to other human beings and you disregarded that and that animal then went and killed somebody, there was a responsibility that fell on you. But that single verse or that single passage in that law was understood that it was not just, even though the law says an ox, it was not only meaning an ox. It meant any animal that you had. And so the law was given and the principle was spelled out. But because uh, God did not have to go through, I don't even know how many species of animals there were back then, uh, uh, how many there are now today. I mean, think of all the ones that have gone extinct. How many other ones? I don't know. They probably didn't have woolly mammoths back then, but maybe they had something besides an ox. I don't, I don't know if they kept... Uh, um, I don't know if their house cats were larger. I don't know what it was. But if they had another animal that would have hurt somebody... 
They did not say, aha, well, I'm off the hook because the law doesn't say that. No, they would go back to the law and say, here is a principle that God gave us that was applied to everything else. But because they were human, by the time we get to the New Testament, what have they done? They have reduced the law down to the letter of the law. And Jesus Christ comes on the scene and he does something powerful. And he's not doing, we can make the mistake, even though there's a new covenant and a new testament, we think that Christ is adding to the law. He's not adding to the law. But he comes to interpret the law in its purest form in the spirit that God gave it. So the next point I want to cover tonight before we get into these, if you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 5. But I want to look at this, what Christ did with the law in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, he does it several times, but Christ does something powerful with the law in the Sermon on the Mount. And what Christ does is he's not doing something new. He's not adding to the law. He's not taking away from the law. He makes this point emphatically. He argues that. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 17, he's giving the Sermon on the Mount. He's given the Beatitudes. He goes down. He talks about how you're salt and light. And now in verse number 17, he says this, because he puts this disclaimer. He wants to be very clear. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So Christ is getting ready to do something powerful with the law to that generation. And what I want to do in these three, three, three nights or these three weeks is enable us to see what he did and to be able to go back to the law, these Ten Commandments, and let these Ten Commandments speak in our life. Now Christ said, I am not come to destroy the law. How would he destroy the law? Well, if he came teaching a new law or adding another law, one that was superior, then the old law would be destroyed. If he came giving a new rule, then the old rules were of none effect. He said, no, I am not come to destroy, but I am come to fulfill. Meaning everything that I am teaching, everything that I am doing now, Everything that he was going to do was not going to destroy, but it was going to fulfill. It was going to be the full, original spirit and purpose that God had manifest in every way. Now, did the law bring us to Christ? Yes. Paul talks about that at length. The law taught humanity through the children and the offspring of Abraham. It taught humanity there was a God, how we are to act before that God, what God is desiring of us, how we are to live, and it brought us all the way to Christ. The law in itself did not make us perfect. We could obey the spirit of the law. We could see the spirit of the law. We could follow after the spirit of the law. But the law itself did not make us a new creature. Amen. The law itself did not take away old things. 
Amen. That happens, how? Through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if we look back at the law and say the law is perfect, yes, the law is perfect, converting the soul. Amen. The reason why it's perfect is because the law leads us to Christ. There's no way we can look at the law and not end up at Christ. The law is perfect, converting the soul. But the law on its own is not perfect. If we're just following the law... Then, the, then Paul said, the cross of Christ is of none effect. It was in vain why he died. No, that's not true. But the law is still uh, uh, working inside of us. So thank God that old things can be passed away. Thank God we can come to an altar of repentance. Thank God we can, we can have second, third, fourth, however many chances we need. Seventy times seven, he'll forgive us if we come and we ask for forgiveness and we turn from our ways. Thank God that he can wash away our sins. Amen. And not only our sins, but every sin that's been committed to us. Thank God we can arise to walk in the newness of life and through the empowering of the Holy Spirit... Now, I can keep the law. Somebody say amen. 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 There is a mistake when we, when we look at grace and say we were saved by grace, and I can't make it, I'm just a sinner. There's a mistake when we look at grace as an excuse to sin. God did not save us and put the Holy Ghost in us because we were not able to overcome sin. No, the reason why he saved us and put the Holy Ghost in us is so that we could overcome sin. Sin has no more hold on us. We're not subject to sin anymore. Grace is not an excuse to sin. Grace is the reason for our righteousness. Don't look at me and say, oh, look at him. Uh, don't look at her and say, oh, look at her. Isn't she perfect? No. She's only perfect because of the grace of God, the mercy of God. She didn't have God. He didn't have God. I didn't have God. We're going to be back in the same mess we were at all the time before. But because of His Spirit now, we can keep the law. So you can keep the law. And Christ said, I didn't come to destroy. I came to fulfill the law. So does this law have power? Yes, this law has power. It still matters what you think about God. I am the Lord thy God. Hallelujah. We don't just discard that. We don't throw that away. And so Christ comes to fulfill the law. So the focus of this, if I wanted to look at this tonight, the focus of this study is going to be on, uh, I'm going to use a big word here, the paradigmatic nature. Okay, so the law speaks to us in principles and paradigms. And so the focus of the Ten Commandments study that we're looking at, because I am, is the paradigmatic nature. And this was exactly what Jesus was doing when he speaks about the law in Matthew chapter 5. Look at what he says. For verily I say unto you till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle. That's, that's, that's our equivalent from the Hebrew language to English, the crossing of a T and the dotting of the I is the closest thing we'd have that would come to that. One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all the law be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments shall teach men so, and he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever shall do and teach them. 
So here's Christ talking about the law. And he says, do and teach them. That's what we're doing here. That's why we're looking at this. The same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, here it is, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now that was a very, very pointed statement. Christ calls out the scribes and the Pharisees because they were attempting to keep the letter of the law, but they were uh, offending the spirit of the law. They had a, a way, uh, the Sabbath prohibited them from traveling. It was, it was a mandatory rest. We'll talk about the implications of that and how we observe that today in a, in a, in a different way. But they had a way, they had a law that prohibited them to walk so far from their house. So if I were to put it in equivalent 2020 language, the way they got around that was they had a house that they lived in, a physical structure that they lived in, but they also had a portable house that they could carry with them. And as long as they had their portable house, if they were never farther from their house, they were not they were not breaking the law. And it had gotten to such a place that by the time of Christ, they were literally, the, the law says on the Sabbath day, you have to rest. And, and to make sure that you rest, you cannot go so far from your house. It still happens today. If you go over to, uh, I'm thinking of Clayton right now, and other places, you go on Saturday around the synagogue, you'll see people, uh, uh, you'll, you'll see people, uh, uh, people practicing Judaism walking from their house to their synagogue because they don't drive on that day. When we went to Israel, there are little wires that are strung up. Sometimes in other cities and communities they have them. And those little wires are nothing more than putting a perimeter around the Jewish communities, letting them know how far they are allowed to travel on Sabbath. But in, in, in the time of Christ, they had literally portable tents. It'd be like going to Walmart and buying a cheap tent and carrying that tent with you. So on, on the Sabbath day, you could go wherever you wanted to go as long as you had that tent there because you weren't going. Do you think that was what God meant when he gave them the law? And so Jesus looks at them and says, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees were strict adherents to the letter of the law. They would not be caught dead breaking the letter of the law. And so Jesus now begins his discourse. Look at what he says in verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time. He goes on in verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time. Verse 31. It hath been said. Verse 33. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. Verse 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said. Verse 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said. What is he talking about? He's talking about their common present day interpretation of the law. And then he's, he's illustrating the fact that while they interpreted the literal law, they were missing the spirit of the law. 
So it is possible for us to put the Ten Commandments in our courthouse and in our home and in our houses, in our bedrooms and, 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 and on our dashboard and on our bathroom mirror and say, look at this. I follow the law. I haven't killed anybody today. I haven't stolen from anybody today. I haven't lied about anybody today. I only tell the truth. But we are offending the spirit of the law all along. And this is what Jesus said. He said, it's important that your righteousness exceed this. And it's important, he said, that you not only do it, but you also teach others to do it also. So here it is. An aspect of the law that is often missed was the principles and the paradigms to be interpreted were deeper than just the letter of the law. So you could wiggle off the hook like we do in America. And I talked about the rule of the goring ox. The Pharisees did this so well. There's two books that I would recommend. Um, one came out about 13 years ago, I think it was, and it's called Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. It's an incredible book, simple little book. So often, if I've ever had a revelation after getting into the Word of God in, in, in the last 10 years probably, is how much I have approached the text, the Bible, as a modern era Western American, and I miss so much that God was saying. The author of that just came out with another book. 13 years ago, they wrote that book. It's an incredible book. They just came out with another book, and the title of that book is called Misreading Scripture Through Individualistic Eyes. Because we all read the Scripture, and we read it through our own selfish desires and our selfish lens, and we miss it. I can prove this. We read the Bible and go to the Bible and think it's all about us. But the longer you read the Bible and the more you're in church, the more you realize that it's not about us. It's all about him. That's why the last book in your Bible is the same one in mine. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is that? There is coming a day at the end. It's not going to be about the bride of Christ. It's going to be about the bridegroom. It's not going to be about us. Oh, look at them. Wow, they're great and mighty. No, that that part's going to be there, but it's going to be about him. He's the one that's absolute, all loving, all justice, all perfect. The one the angels and cherubims cry, holy, holy, holy. Amen. Amen. Isaiah said, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. And the angels cried, holy. And the angels cried, holy. And he said, woe is me. I'm a man that's undone. Here he was feeling good. God, I'm the only preacher left in Israel. Look at me. Look at what my ministry's doing. Look at how great I am. But one moment in the presence of God, and he realized, I'm nothing. But the angels in eternity sings, holy, holy, holy. I'm going to tell you, that's what's going to happen when we get over there someday. The Bible says we're going to take our crowns, all of our glory, any achievement, anything that we have or ever thought that we could ever imagine, it says we're going to cast them, cast them at his feet. Just one moment we're going to realize it was never about us. It was always about him. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. I thank God that I'm the recipient of his blessing and I'm the recipient of his goodness. But it's all about him. It's not about us. The whole story, what's it about? It's about God revealing who he is. Amen. It's not about us. That's a whole other study for a whole other day. 
But we approach the text and thinks it's just about us, and we miss it. And if we approach the text, the text, the sacred text, through individualistic eyes, through eyes that, that cannot see, cannot just stop and say, okay, what was God saying here? We're going to be, we're going to fall prey to the same thing everybody else does. And that's where this becomes just religion. And it becomes just tradition. And we miss the whole point. That's how you get to the place to where, to where people start having clubs in the church house. That's how America got to a place, you know, there was times, it still happens, it's happened all over the world, but there was times where when you go to church, when you, when you go back to those ancient churches on the East Coast, you go in and if you didn't have enough money, you didn't get to sit in a seat. You had to stand up around the sides. And, and, and there were certain churches that you had to pay money to get in there, and you could buy a pew. You could, act, did, does everybody know this? I'm not making this up. Like, I've been there. I've, I've been to the house, north, north side Boston. I love it now. One of the best cannoli shops in America, by the way, is there. So if you're ever out there, it's a great place to stop. But you can go into that old north church, and when you go in there, there are booths. They sell booths. Booths, you could, they sold them. You could buy them, and it was like it was like same same thing. You know, they do that at the Cardinal Stadium. You go down, you could buy your seats, your box seats. Those are your box seats, and you or anybody you permit can sit in those seats. But nobody can come down in there, and they would buy those seats. That's not how the church is. This isn't a thing where we can keep people out. This isn't a thing where we can pick and choose. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is for whosoever will. It does not matter. That's how you get down to religion. Well, we've got, to, we've got to worship God this way. You can only worship God this way. No, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. There are some things you just can't restrict. We miss the point. We miss the point. We'll say, well, well, pastor, that's not how it is. Now, don't get me wrong. We all have our own cultures, and it's, we have our own culture here at CTK. It's impossible for every local church not to come up with its own culture. It's going to happen, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but the culture does not become what the church is about Church has to be about what the Spirit of God has given to us. And this is what Christ is saying. You've heard it said. And he goes through a lot of them. One of them he illustrates, the first one he illustrates, is you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you, go back to Matthew chapter 5, look at what he says in verse 21 and 22. But I say unto you, who is the I speaking here? I am. I am. Yep. Amen. Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. And he says, here it is. He, he, how many know that Christ was the great I am manifest in the flesh? That's what, that's what they hated him for. That's what they crucified him for. He says that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now maybe, I don't want a show of hands, but maybe most of us in here have never killed somebody. But all of us in here at some point, most likely, have been angry with someone without a cause. And here is Jesus, not destroying the law, but fulfilling the law. So he's giving us 
the paradigmatic nature of the law. There's a paradigm here that God wanted us to have and to work through. So with that, we go to the Ten Commandments. So let's go back to Exodus chapter number 20, and we're going to take just a couple of minutes here, and we're going to walk through these Ten Commandments. We're going to begin the walk through these Ten Commandments. The first commandment is in the nature or, or, or the understanding, the tradition of Judaism. The first commandment is verse 2, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. This is, why do we, why am I saying this is the first commandment? Well, because Moses summed it up in Deuteronomy when he gave the retelling of the law to the generation that would inherit the promised land. Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 4 would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That was a restating, if you will, of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2. It was a restating. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It's the same thing. I am the Lord thy God. I'm God all by myself. I am God alone. There is no one else. I am because I am. He is the uncaused causer. Nobody created God. Everything we know has been created. Everything we touch and feel and see, everything we can work with in this earth and, and manifest, there is no creation that we create. We can recreate. We can take substance and material and put it together, but we already have something to work with when we create. When we create a car, when we create a robot, when we make something, we are taking raw materials. We did not create the raw materials. But God created everything, and He's the only entity that was never created. I am. He's the uncaused causer. He is the absolute. If you remember our absolute series, I referred to it last week. You can go back and catch that. He is the absolute. He alone is the one that absolutely knows all things. He alone is the one that absolutely exists from eternity to eternity. And we culminated that series with the understanding that He was absolute love. There is no one that can love like God loves because we were first loved herein. Amen. For God so loved the world. Amen. Hallelujah. Herein is love that God first loved us. The Bible says he first loved us. We can love in response, but we will never initiate love. We will initiate love two things. You understand what I'm saying? But we have at some point received love. And even if we've been born into the most horrific of circumstances on this earth, and no one did love us, and we were left alone, God first loved us. He first looked at something that may never love him back, that may never even acknowledge. And he looked at us. He looked at humanity and said, I'm going to love you. I'm going to die on a cross for your sins just for the opportunity to wash away your sins. But I may never have that opportunity. So when we love, we love in response to God. That's how people who do not serve God, who do not know God, can 
and walk in love and can love one another because God in his very nature is love and he first loved us. He's absolute. I thank God because God is, amen, because God is, we can do all of these. And this is the first commandment. Jesus said this in Mark chapter number 12 and verse 29 when he was asked, Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Turn to somebody and say, this is the first commandment. This is the first commandment. God is God alone. He is God alone. He is God alone. It's the first understanding. This is the first commandment. This is the first principle to get. This is the first thing that you have to acknowledge mentally in your mind. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Isn't that what Christ said? You have to acknowledge this in your mind. You have to acknowledge that there is a God. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. We talked about it last week. There's two things that we're without excuse, Paul says. Number one, creation testifies to God. Number two, what's the second thing? Your conscience testifies to God. There is no person that has ever been born that on that great day of judgment will be able to stand before God and say, God, I didn't know you existed. You cannot separate me from you for eternity. It would not be fair and just. God's going to look at them and say, no. The first commandment is I am. And if you break that commandment, there is, there is no salvation. Why are we preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because we want all men to be saved. But the reality is, is that there will be some that will be lost. And ultimately, when those that are lost, hear me today, they are not going to be lost because they coveted or because they committed adultery or because they stole or because they did not honor their father and mother. They are not going to be lost, amen, because they, even because they set up other gods, they're going to be lost because they broke the first commandment. They did not acknowledge the first commandment that simply said, I am. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There is only one God. How can you look at all of nature and creation and just think you are an accident and just think it happened? No, there is a God. You may not know what his name is. You may not know he is, who he is or, or how he works. Amen. But you would acknowledge there is a God somewhere. Yes. Yes. I'm going to tell you, God speaks to people. He speaks to individuals through dreams and through visions. He speaks to us through many different things. No one is going to be, no one is going, God is not going to punish anyone unjustly. God's will and desire is not to punish anyone. His hope is not to punish someone. And so we set creation 
And not only that, he's left the church here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first commandment is, I am the Lord thy God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Do you think that's a pretty important commandment? Yes, that's an important commandment. That's why we are so, uh, that's why we are so purposeful. That's why we're so adamant about understanding the reality of who God is. That's why we would preach and teach the oneness of God. That's why it matters what you call God. You will be hated of all men for my name's sake. It is not just enough today to say, yes, there's one God. Yes, there's a God. And, And you call him this name, and you call him this name, and you call him this name. But look at this. We all worship one God. No, no, no. There's only one God, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. I'm going to tell you, hell is not going to fight us. He's not going to fight the kingdom of God because we're preaching righteousness and holiness. He's not going to fight us because we're preaching uh, uh, against certain sins and life overcoming of certain sins. He's going to fight us because we're preaching the revelation that there is only one God. That's where spiritual warfare is going to take place. The second thing, and I've got to, I'll, I'll probably only get this far. The second commandment, and I'm going to call it commandment 2A, because we're probably, I'm going to split this in two parts, even though the, the, the Jewish tradition would put these together. But the second commandment is found in verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, why can't we have any other gods before him? Because I am. There's only one God. So you can't have any other gods before him because I am. So he alone, he alone is God. We already got that established in in commandment number one. But now in the second commandment, he alone comes first. And nothing, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What does this mean? What What do we understand? That means nothing and no one can displace his voice or his authority. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, we don't, we don't worship God today. We don't worship gods in culture today in the West. Other parts of the world do. In the West with idols. We don't, we don't get to that. I'll, I'll explain some of that. But this right here is speaking not just about idols. The, the second part of this, 2B or, or commandment number 3, however you, or commandment number 2, however you would want to look at it. Thou shalt make no graven images or thou shalt make no idols would specifically identifying making an idol of anything that's not of God. But we'll talk about what that means. But this one says thou shalt have no other gods before me. So maybe you're not making another idol, but there, this is forbidding the worship or commitment to anyone or anything or any system that would preempt the rule and will of God in your life. So if someone else preempts the will of God in your life, that becomes something or someone that now becomes another God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Say, how would I unfold this? Well, 
If I live my life, now, now we are human beings and we are worried about what other people think about us. But if I live my life more concerned about what other people think about me than I do what God says and what God thinks about me, I have just elevated something, someone, or some system to preempt the will and rule of God in my life. I, I know what God says. I know what God wants. But man, I know what these people are thinking. And now all of a sudden, that has infringed, it has encroached upon my life, and something else has been able to displace God, to displace His voice, and displace His authority. Can I tell you the most powerful thing beyond getting the revelation and acknowledging that God is God, the most powerful thing you could do is say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. I give you all authority. I give you the highest authority. Your authority is above any voice, any man, any personality, I put you at the top of the list. This is what Paul was saying when Paul says, look, if I or an angel from heaven come down and we preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. You stay with the voice of the Lord. Yeah. But Paul, I love you. Paul, you've helped me. Paul, you brought me out. You're the one through whom I was saved under. Paul says, no, listen, yes, I am, I'm an authority in your life. I'm a spiritual authority in your life. But if I make a mistake, don't you allow me to preempt the will and the rule of God in your life. The same is true with the world. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, if you want to love me, you can't love me and love your mother and your father and your husband and your wife and your son and your daughter. Isn't that what he says? He wasn't saying that you can't love them when he said you've got to hate them to love me. He wasn't saying that he, he, that, that translation in the English could cause us to go awry and that, as if God's saying that I can only love him and I've got to be angry and hateful towards everyone. No, what he was saying was that when it comes to a play against two opinions, you better look at mom and dad and say, I am thankful for you and I love you, but what you are saying right now preempts the will of God and I cannot love two things. I've got to love one and hate the other. The reason why I hate what you're saying is because if I follow it, it's going to separate me from what God has for me. And so I've got to make the hard decision. No harder decision. No harder decision than maybe when family comes in the way between what God has for you. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Stand together with me tonight. Why? Because I am. You say, Pastor, that's, that's a hard thing to preach. That's a hard thing to talk about. It is a hard thing to talk about. It is a hard thing to realize. It's a hard thing because every single one of us have wrestled with it. But what enables the ability to keep commandment two, two A, as I'm calling it, is the understanding of commandment one. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. If God can bring me out of that, then God can bring me out of this. And God can keep me in every situation and every circumstance.
Amen. So what is it that we allow to become a God before us? What is it that we allow to become another voice or authority in our life? Amen. Can we ask the Lord, amen, to let his word be in our heart tonight? Would you pray with me, Lord, tonight? I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. God, tonight I ask, Lord, as we dig deep and probe deep in this, that your spirit, God, would admonish us and encourage us. God, help us to understand maybe some of our battles and our frustrations, but, but give us, Lord, a sensitivity and a willingness to follow after you and understand and know that you are going to empower us, that you are going to strengthen us, God, to live your word out. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, God, I pray for every home, every family, every marriage that is here tonight, gathered under the sound of my voice, and I pray that the word of God would be preeminent. God, we want you to be the only voice and the only authority in our life. In Jesus' name tonight we pray. And everybody said in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you love the Word of God tonight? Amen. Can you put your hands together and thank God for His Word? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. What a mighty God we serve.